episode three of the AI and You podcast with Dr. David George. David has been working in the AI space since the early 1990s and is the creator of Choice Master, a new concept in recommender systems. This week, we take a closer look at chatbots. We discuss what they are, how they work, and what they could do for us. This conversation was recorded over a week ago, and the technology is moving at breakneck speed, so please bear this in mind when listening. If you want to get in touch with David, then please email him at david at choicemaster.org. So, let's get into it. So there's been a lot of talk in the press recently about the various chatbots that we now have, and there's three main ones. So the first thing I'm going to ask you today, David, is um, what is a chatbot and what's their purpose? Good question, <laughs> because they're, they're meant to be multi-purpose. But essentially, a chatbot is a, is a method of having a more interactive conversation with a computer. Right now, for example, if you do a search on Google, you just get a whole list of responses to the search prompt that you put in. And then it's up to you manually to look at what you've received and then click on one of the links to investigate in a bit more detail and then possibly click on other links to look at more and more and more. If a chatbot is driving that, you can actually have an interactive conversation in natural language with the computer system and achieve the same end result. That's the purpose of the chatbots. So does that, does that mean you can... Well, that's one, sorry, that's one of the major purposes of, of the chatbots, especially now with the new entrants, so with Google Bard and with the Microsoft Bing chatbot that's become available recently. Other major roles of chatbots is to help you problem solve. If you're a content writer and you wanted to write uh, content for a blog post about a topic, or you're in the marketing space and you wanted to generate some advertorial text to post on a website, then chatbots will do that for you. Obviously, at the moment, in, in the public domain, for the want of a better phrase, uh, there are three major chatbots. Can you tell us which ones they are and what the differences are between them? Yeah, there are three now, uh, the three major players. Uh, the first one was the OpenAI chat uh, GPT and very, very recently now is the Microsoft Bing chat and the Google Bard chat. So these are will be linked to their search facilities, search engines that they already operate. Chat GTP is completely independent and doesn't get involved in, in search at all. In fact, it's, uh, it, it can only operate on information that it's been, that it's learned about, that it's, that's been trained with. Um, up to September 2021. However, GPT-4, which supports chat GPT, is being used um, as the bot uh, in Microsoft Bing. This is what I've read, is that is that Microsoft put a lot of money into OpenAI and are now reaping some of the money that they've invested by well, using yeah. it in their, in their Bing yes, search exactly. facility. And of course, um, Bard, is Google's chatbot, which actually, interestingly enough, at this point in time, isn't integrated within Google search. However, it does have 
a Google search capability <laughs> built built into it. What are the major differences between these three different uh, versions that are, that are currently out there being beta tested, I think, basically? Well, they're all designed to do something similar with respect to their their abilities as generative AI uh, systems, but their focus is different. The major difference actually between Bing and Google Bard and ChatGTP is the fact that they can access real-time data from the internet because ChatGPT cannot do that at this particular point in time. So the Google Bard system and the Bing system are both currently up to date on what's available on the internet? Yeah, they they can access real-time data. And in fact, uh, in the marketing information that Google provide, they call that real in the real-time world. I assume there are advantages and limitations with all the different systems. Do you know what kind of things that they are? Google Bard and Microsoft Bing Chat are relatively new. I mean, they've only occurred in the last week. Uh, they've only been made available generally uh, made available in in the last week, although they've been undergoing their own tests, you know, with a, with limited access uh, for for quite a while now. They operate in different, in slightly different ways. Uh, for example, ChatGTP doesn't operate on your own local desktop computer as such, it or your laptop or your mobile phone. It needs access to OpenAI's backend servers in order to function. But both Google and Microsoft chatbots uh, will operate on your local computer. So that's that's one big difference about them. The other big difference, of course, is access to up-to-date information. As we've discussed before, the OpenAI system has its limitations in the knowledge that it has. Yes. The way in which it presents information to you is also slightly different. They all have the ability to either be um, more creative or more precise in terms of their output. ChatGPT, for example, has a parameter that can be varied called temperature. And the lower the value of the temperature setting, the more precise the output will be. Um, so it has its control knobs, basically. That yes, it's got a whole load of nuance it, the yes. information. Right. And the Google Bard system will give you three outputs for every prompt that you input. So it gives you three different versions of a response to your prompt. And they're all pretty similar, but, you know, it's just a question of how the wording is presented to you. And then you can choose which one you prefer. I'm going to ask you a sort of an age-specific question now and something that people of our age will have, will have remembered. Will there be a situation where, a bit like VHS and Betamax and Video 2000, one of them will become the dominant system in the same way that Google seems to be, you know, Google has turned into a, a, a descriptive word now. You know, you go and Google something, even if you're looking at it on uh, on the Microsoft system. Will one of these become the dominant system, do you think, or will they all work in conjunction with each other? Good question. Right now, I wouldn't like to, you know, to forecast. <laughs> However, one can see that being integrated within internet search is actually going to be the predominant use for it especially when you can have an interactive conversation with the results that get presented back to you. We can see how that can work with an example of, say, using a chatbot to help you find the best product. You know, what's the best washing machine? I'm keen to buy a washing machine. What's the best one for me? These are the the requirements that it needs to satisfy. And instead of coming back with 
5,000 <laughs> links for you to go and drill down on and do more homework, it will come back with a reasonable proposal of the top 10, for example, that, uh, that might satisfy your needs. It's limiting your search space as a helper and it's giving you the link, the reference, so that you can go and actually verify that it will satisfy your requirements or not. So I think that's going to be a really significant use case, as they say. As soon as you brought this subject up, um, people may or may not know that David is the creator of the Choice Master uh, recommender system. And I know that you've been working on it quite a lot recently, trying to integrate a, a chat bot system into that. Will that work on a similar way? What I want to use the chatbot for in Choice Master is to give a natural language output of the explanation data that I generate within Choice Master when it makes its recommendations. I believe for a, a long time, and Choice Master has been designed from the ground up this way, it's not good enough just to provide you with a recommendation. What you actually need is the justification for that so that the user of the system can say, oh, yes, I agree with this, or no, I don't uh, agree with it. Now, the way in which Choice Master currently presents its explanation is in the form of some text, some tables, and a number of graphs and charts for you to look at and say, yes, I agree, or no, I don't agree. I felt it would be um, very beneficial to interpret that data and present it in a natural language format in the form of a couple of sentences or a paragraph summary. So I just say, this is the best washing machine for you. It'll tell you why it's the best washing oh, well, machine for you. Choice Master currently tells you that, but it tells you it in a long-winded way, if you like, and I want to make uh, some improvements in that. So, so it's creating a much more user-friendly interface, really. Well, that's the whole idea, yes. On that subject, again, uh, there has been experiments done, hasn't there, on um, consumer product choice through, uh, I think, was it yeah, PC Magazine did uh, an experiment on this, didn't they? Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, they did. They ran what's been termed, and I think quite, quite a nice term for it, a chat-off, <laughs> uh, a, a, a bit of a test. And they went through it in a very thorough way. I'm just going to give you a summary of that. The first question that they asked was... Um, which system do you think is most accurate? ChatGPT, Bing AI, or Google Bard? <laughs> and the answers were very respectfully similar. Uh, they all basically came back with the answer that said, um, well, they're all different systems designed for slightly different purposes. Uh, hard to make definitive statements without a specific context. So they didn't want to badmouth each other, basically. Exactly. They were very respectful in that. And of course, that answer was 100% true. <laughs> you know, so. Which, which as we have discussed before, isn't necessarily what happens when you uh, talk to the chatbot. Well, no, as, as you're right, Mark, as we have discussed, they're not necessarily 100% reliable. Which is something we, we can come on to later on, possibly. The other interesting one was the, was the student laptop question. I mean, product recommendations... When we have that full interactive search capability, could in fact be a great use uh, for, for a chatbot. Um, and in the ideal world, they sort of very rapidly provide accurate and concise answers to our requests. And as a helper, then they're replacing hours of online research and retail outlet or website visits. So, you know, while we do our homework, they'll do the drudge work uh, for us which can be very beneficial. Each chatbot was asked exactly the same question. What is the best laptop to use for a university or college student? 
Now, the tests that they did actually concluded that none, none of the suggestions from all three of them were the same. And there, in fact, each of them recommended somewhere between six or seven suggestions. There was only one laptop that was uh, common across all three of them. And that was quite interesting. I won't quote the name <laughs> um, to be respectful, but uh, the, one that, the one that was common across all three of them was probably the most expensive one of them all. So it makes you wonder for a student, possibly on a tight budget, why that one might have been the most common. Would a budgetary recommendation have been put into the question? Or obviously it wasn't, maybe. I, I don't well, know. it wasn't. The question was, which is the best or, you know, which are the best laptops for a college or university student to use? No constraints were defined in this particular test. However, the Google Bard response does pop up a number of tabs when it gives you the answer back. And I believe that one of those tabs did say, you know, that you could drill down and look for more information. But one of the advantages of ChatGPT is its ability to maintain context. And that means that you can have a, a highly interactive um, discussion with it and it will stick to the same context. So you could say to it, once it's given you its first response, you could say, okay, based on this response, which one is the cheapest? And if ChatGTP had internet access that was up to date, then it, it would come back to you with the prices. Now, with Google Bard, I'm not 100% certain about the Bing chat, but uh, with Google Bard, because it's interacting with the internet all of the time, it would actually come back with all of the latest prices. You know? So you have got that ability to refine your questions or add more context to your original prompt. So again, looking at it from the Choice Master point of view, you will make sure that the correct questions are being asked and it's not just a general question. You, you prompt the user to answer certain questions that will hone down their choice. Yes, that's right. But Choice Master works in a completely different way to other recommender systems, including the way in which trying to get recommendations using a chatbot will work. Choice Master only works on absolute facts. The other thing to do with that and ask the question and what response you get from it, what data they're being trained on and who is controlling that data input or what is controlling that data input? Well, in terms of training, if we start with the first one, chat. GTP, it was trained on absolutely massive amounts of textual data from a variety of sources published on the internet. So that's books, news articles, website pages, and any other written material that's available. And, and is that literally just trawling everything up? Yes. Uh, there's no one saying, you need to choose from here, you need to choose from here. It's just everything goes in there. One of the reasons for concern amongst the AI academic community is that... Um, how it was actually trained and the detail of how it was trained hasn't been made public. And so nobody actually really knows whether there were constraints placed on it in any particular way. But the assumption at this point in time is it was just let loose to learn as much as it possibly could from a wide range of topics, you know, science, technology, history, literature, and more. But of course, I'll repeat what we've said earlier, that it doesn't have access to any information outside of its cutoff date of September 2021. However, having said that, March was a very busy month for, for developments in this space because 
a week ago, they announced the introduction of plugins to ChatGTP, one of those plugins being um, the ability to browse the internet. Which will then bring it up to date with all the information right up to the second we're talking now. Which will then allow you to access more recent information, yes. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing seems to be moving at an alarming speed. I mean, you know, we, we can talk about the letter and the regulation as well. And it seems to me that even the people who are developing this are also quite worried about the speed it is it is moving. And maybe, you know, we need to rein in the horses a little bit. Explain to me the letter. The le- I'm, I'm interested in, in the letter. Well, the letter was produced initially led by Elon Musk, who was one of the original founders of OpenAI. But it was written originally by, by uh, and signed by a, no- a number of academics and business leaders in expressing concern about the the speed of development of chatbot technology on generative AI um, specifically, and which is leading to chatbots in such an uncontrolled way. I mean, we wouldn't dream of introducing, you know, a new medication without that medication having gone through very, very thorough clinical tests and clinical trials before it was released. And all the side effects of it would have been understood and uh, made public. So the concern is that because of the competition now between the big tech companies, that uh, not enough care is being um, placed on on how this technology is going to be released, um, how it's going to actually be used, and the potential damage that can occur as a result of that usage. I, I did read in a Guardian article that there's people involved in open AI who are not too sure how the system actually works. <laughs> Has it created its own agenda? And is it is it almost building itself from the inside? I mean, I don't know how true that is or, or whether that's a thing to worry about, but it, reading it cold, it does seem a little bit of a concern, but it, uh, maybe it's more nuanced than that. I think your original comment that, you know, even the developers of the technology don't know how it's working, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Is it something we should worry about, that kind of comment? Well, absolutely. We should be worrying about it, you know. I mean, but it, but it has been a concern of AI in general for quite a while, especially the subset of AI, which is termed as machine learning. It's because the mechanisms are contained within what is called a black box, and it's a black box that you can't get into. You can't see how things are working. So even though you designed how the black box should be functioning in the first place, you don't actually know what's happening when it's training itself, when it is machine learning, in fact. And there is a lot of research now, you know, taking what has been taking place for the last few years in academia about um, how to build explainable AI. Explainable AI has been a hot topic now for a number of years. And I'll just get another plug of Choice Master in there. Choice Master was built from the ground up to make sure that the black box could be interrogated and that the basis for its recommendation could be justified by facts. So you've created a safety net really within a Choice Master. Yeah, you said, well, Choice Master was always meant to be a helper for online shoppers. Giving, the, as I mentioned before, giving a simple recommendation isn't good enough. You need to give the explanation and the justification for why you made that recommendation. Sorry, going back to the letter uh, just for a second. So they're calling for regulation, aren't they? They're calling for governments to become involved in in how this is going to be regulated. Well, yes, they are. And do you think it needs government regulation? Well, absolutely it does, because the current thinking is that the tech companies that are producing generative AI, outputs like chatbots, 
can't necessarily be relied upon to regulate themselves. Some examples of that, of course, are the current spread of disinformation on some of the social media platforms. Which, of course, it's drawing from all the time. It's drawing from all the time. Of course, anything published on the internet is the basis for training generative AI models. It's not the only, but um, it's certainly the most. I mean, we've talked about this before as well, whether information that is generated by AI, for the want of a better phrase, should be watermarked and people know that that's where it's been generated from. Going on further than that, I think it's some conversation we've had is, is at what point is the information that it is drawing from created by itself or other AI programs? Yeah, that's an interesting question because one can imagine if the output generated to people's input prompts from these chatbots is actually being fed back into uh, the internet, it will at some time or another be included in its training. And if it's not generating 100% reliable outputs, you know, then misinformation is is actually being fed intentionally or unintentionally, hopefully unintentionally, back into the internet. And it could multiply that misinformation because it's regurgitating it. <laughs> well, I think when you when you look at the numbers of how many people have now started to use these chatbots, it's phenomenal. The amount of new information that's being created as a direct result of the chatbots is phenomenal. And and I think the other thing, I I certainly know that Google is part of their testing process is having users help to improve the information that it's given. And I know people who have done that, but that's from people who are genuinely interested and scrupulous. I think there might be unscrupulous people who could well put information in there as well. Well, we know there are individuals and, and other agents that will be deliberately abusing the capabilities of this technology. Hence the need for regulation of some sort. Hence the need for some serious controls, yes. All three of these most popular bots, there is another bot that will possibly need to be considered at some time in the future, and that's the Chinese bot, Baidu, which is um, going to become available. The three most popular right now, the ChatGTP, the Google Bard, and, and the Bing Chat, They all provide at the bottom of the output form, (laughs) they've got a thumbs up sign or a thumbs down sign. And so you are able to give some feedback that way by saying, yes, I agree with what's being produced or no, I don't agree with what's being produced. Now, there are much more serious um, attempts to gain user feedback in a very controlled way. Um, And I know Chat uh, GPT was partially trained using a technique called reinforced learning with human input. Um, And that is that when they were going through their own controls and their own testing, humans would be looking at the output of what it's generating and then they would be able to correct it so that any misinformation or inaccuracies that were generated in the output, they would be able to correct and feed that back into its learning. In your opinion, and I know this is purely in your opinion, it's not uh, gospel, do you think that it will become more accurate as time goes on? Will they be able to reduce the amount of hallucination involved uh, as time goes on? Or is this something that we will always have to take with a bit of a pinch of salt? My feeling right now, based on what I know, is that it's never going to be 100% accurate and reliable. And my reason for saying that is that even when two humans when two humans are talking to each other, if somebody starts spouting, excuse that word, but if somebody starts stating 
hate speech, for example, then if we're surrounded by a crowd of other people, a lot of them are actually going to know immediately, yeah, that's hate speech. That person needs to be penalized in one way or the other. Or if somebody is expressing their opinion, then some people might think, oh, well, that's a negative opinion. You shouldn't be allowed to say that. Whereas another grouping of people will say, well, that's his opinion, that, you know, that he's allowed to actually express his opinions. And so when a machine learning model, as is used in training uh, generative AI chatbots, is learning, it needs to know then, you know, and it all goes back to language nuance and, and subtleties. And, uh, you know, how do I know whether that's actually hate speech or misinformation or disinformation? I think that's interesting because it's one of the things that I've, in the, the research I've been doing for these podcasts, is how they can do these nuances. There doesn't seem to be emotion. The machine doesn't seem to have emotion, which is often what's needed to for human beings to decipher what the other human being actually means. Well, no, no, they don't have. <laughs> I mean, these chatbots are really exceptionally good at, whether the output is we agree with or not, are exceptionally good at choosing the next word to place in a text fragment. And that is all. Which is ultimately all they do, really. Which is all they, which is all they were designed to do which is all they've been trained to do and which is all they can do. Now, let me tell you that they are doing an exceptionally good job at working out how to generate human-like text output. Now, as I say, whether we agree with what's coming out or not, you know, is a different issue. Whether it's reliable or not is a different issue. But the methodology that is being applied to actually work out based on everything it's learned from trawling uh, the internet, um, is pretty clever. There's no doubt about it. And my belief is that it will improve as we, as humans, work out how we can define and, and recognize misinformation, then we can program that into the learning capabilities of the generative AI models. And then it will become much more reliable. But right now, even we as humans don't know if something is, is correct or incorrect necessarily, unless we have some reference to a source. And that's one of the areas where, where the chatbots aren't currently uh, doing a good enough job in providing attribution or, or source reference to sources. Because if you look up something on Wikipedia, there is a huge list of sources on there. So you can cross-check information uh, in there. Exactly. And Wikipedia would have been definitely one of the one of the sources of input into these chatbots. And I'm absolutely convinced that when it was being trained, it was also being trained on the references that were available on the Wikipedia pages. The trouble is that it all ends up going into a huge big washing machine, <laughs> you know, and when the text generator, it's given its initial prompt, which is the first text fragment that it has. And it's now saying, OK, in the context of this particular prompt, what should be the next word that I'm going to generate in order to generate some natural language output? So though all of those source references are impossible to track. It's interesting because in our last podcast, we talked about this thing where if you're having a conversation between two humans, it is very much what you say, what word you use in the context you put it in, which is how the other person responds. And it was the easiest way for me to understand how the chat GTP system and AI in general works is it is all about the question you ask, 
and in the way you ask it. Uh, and if you want to listen to the last podcast, there's a great example of that, where we change one word in a question and it com- comes up with a completely different answer. Yes. And, yeah. and, and as you pointed out, it's the way people talk to each other. Sorry, just, I just wanted to add a little bit more about, yeah. uh, about when we were talking about the training. I mean, they've all been trained on a heck of a lot of data that's uh, publicly available on the internet. Maybe there's data that's also privately been submitted from other sources that aren't so aren't quite so public. But it's quite interesting that Bard was originally uh, built by Google uh, to write poetry, <laughs> and, and hence the name Bard, because you know the term Bard originally means a, a friend who likes writing poems. Um, and William Shakespeare, of course, was uh, referred to um, as the Bard. Well, it was the first thing that came to my head when, when that name was mentioned. And you think of wordsmith, don't you? You think of someone who writes for a living. Now, with Bing, which is interesting, is that there's no mention anywhere that it's been trained on internet-based data and that it might be operating solely in real time on Bing search results. However, having said that, the underlying engine for Bing Chat is is ChatGTP's GPT-4 model. So it's very possible that Bing Chat has got access to the underlying language models. When we talk about reliability of AI, there are AI systems that are absolutely 100% reliable. And it's the generative AI which is of concern at this particular point in time. This is something, again, you know, these, these new iterations of, of AI. I think we've discussed this before about AI being a very much a general term. And actually, it's far more nuanced than that. And that something that you're creating with uh, Choice Master or have created with Choice Master isn't the same thing as a chat bot at all. No, no, it's not. I would like to upgrade Choice Master's explanation capability to generate a more free format, natural language output. And but that's about interface, isn't it? Not that's, necessarily that's about, about, that's about data collection. Um, that's about usability from the end user's perspective. Yes. Absolutely. We're really running out of time. We've done far longer on this than we intended to do in the first place, but it is a subject that I think we could talk about and talk about and talk about. But just, just finally, something again that you spoke to me about before is people and motivations. I know you have a, a personally, again, this this is a personal view, you have a, a, a personal feeling about people and motivations to do with this subject. I think to paraphrase something that uh, well-known AI academic Gary Marcus uh, said is that, um, well, uh, I'm actually not scared of the AI as such. Um, I'm more scared of the people and their motivations because, you know, this has now opened up. Uh, with very, very fast release after ChatGTP4 of Google Bard and Microsoft Bing Chat, it's highly competitive now. And it's it's all about money now. I mean, Google are on public record as exploring ways to monetize its AI. It's going to be offering it to companies and software developers and busy incorporating it into its own productivity applications. And, and how are Bing looking to monetize their, their offer? Well, Microsoft has stated uh, also publicly that they plan to integrate advertising into Bing Chat. Will yeah. that distort the answers, do you think? In my opinion, there's a high risk of that, um, you know, that it's not going to give you objective results. It's the same as Google Ads. You know, if you go into Google now and you type in your query, the first page is now all sponsored advertising. 
So something similar is, uh, you know, my, may well, very, I wouldn't like to say conclusively because I don't know, but uh, it seems on, based on history quite likely that, you know, that we may not get uh, fully objective results out of Bing Chat, for example, if they're going to allow um, advertising to be plugged into it. I think we've run out of time. I think we've, we've done what we can do on this. There will be more conversation about this. David has been working in this space since the 1990s and has worked in AI developing software for various people for various reasons. Of course, Choice Master is his current project. Uh, if you want to know more about that, then uh, I think people can email you direct, can't they, David? Yes, they can. David at choicemaster.org. Okay. And you can ask him any questions about Choice Master uh, and also about what we've been talking about today. I think, again, we'll be coming back to this subject again in, in, the, next, uh, in the next few weeks and months uh, as the podcasts go on. Uh, as I said, get in contact with David, david at choicemaster.org, uh, if you want to have another conversation with him about that on the email. You can also contact us via the 1386 website as well, or contact me, which is Mark Wakely at 1386audio.com. Thank you very much, David, for your knowledge and input. And uh, we'll be talking again in a couple of weeks' time, I feel. Well, let's hope so. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the AI and You podcast with Dr. David George. Please don't forget to like, review, subscribe, and follow the podcast. And tell your friends and colleagues about us. That email address again to get in touch with David is david at choicemaster.org. We'll be back with another AI and you podcast in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, stay safe and remember, it pays to be informed. This is a 1386 audio production.